You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats and please open with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. So the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, where we'll be studying tonight as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, and let's bow our heads and pray as we open God's word. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks today. Lord, thank you that you're a God who wants to communicate your heart to us. And Lord, may we be those who receive it, who are attentive to it. And Lord, who don't only just store up knowledge about it, but Lord, who allow it to transform our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you've got nothing to lose, you really don't have anything to worry about. But when you have a lot to lose you have plenty to be anxious about. Um, I was reminded of this a while back. I took a trip to Eastern Europe in which I took a large amount of money in cash with me to Ukraine to help build a church building. Some people had donated money, both from our church and and from other uh, organizations and churches. And it was part of my job in going over there was to carry this large amount of money. So I was carrying this large amount of money in my backpack in just wads of cash, right? Like, I mean, we're talking like tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and so I was carrying this around and I'm traveling around. I'm on buses, I'm on trams, I'm on metros and subways. And I was totally nervous the, the entire time. It was hard to enjoy myself at all. I was just totally nervous the entire time. But what happened is after I handed off that money, it was a completely different experience, right? I was totally carefree. I didn't care at all who was standing behind me, who bumped into me on the subway, right? I could just relax because I had nothing to lose. I had nothing to worry about. And today, as we continue this study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we come to a section in which Jesus teaches about the correlation between material possessions and anxiety and how to be a free person in a material world. You know, we live in a time where we enjoy incredible material abundance. And yet, what's so interesting is that our society is also characterized by very high levels of anxiety. So on the one hand, we have a lot. And on the other hand, we're very anxious. It's very easy to become possessed by your possessions. The more stuff you get, think about it, the more work it takes to maintain the stuff that you got. You got to take care of that stuff, right? I ran across an article from Money Magazine. It was titled, Scraping By on $150,000 a Year. Scraping By. And it talks about this, how the tendency of most people is the more money you make, the more stuff you buy. And then the thing about buying stuff is that then it costs money to maintain that stuff. And the nicer the things you buy, the more it costs to maintain and protect and insure those things. So for example, if you make enough money to buy a boat, well, then you've got to pay taxes on the boat. You've got to insure the boat. You also have to pay to store or dock the boat. And then you've got to buy a trailer so that you can pull your boat somewhere. And then you've got to buy a new truck so that you can pull that trailer with the boat on it, right? Because your old truck wasn't able to do it. And so this stuff adds up. So the more stuff you buy, the more work and money it takes to own that stuff. And you can get to the point where the things that you own begin to own you. 
You're working so that you can maintain the stuff you bought, which you don't have time to enjoy because you're so busy working so that you can make the payments on the stuff that you don't have time to enjoy, right? In other words, owning stuff is a lot of work. And you can get to the point where your stuff begins to possess you, where you are possessed by your possessions. And the more you have, the more you also have to lose. And the more you have to lose, the more you have to worry about. So here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a vision of how we can live in this material world and yet be free from materialism. How we can be free from anxiety in regard to material possessions. The title of today's message is Possessed by Possessions, How to Be Free. Let's read Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus begins by talking about the nature of material possessions, and that is that they are transitory. In other words, everything on this earth is temporary, unstable, and fragile. You know, sometimes people like to take spiritual pilgrimages, right? These are like journeys that help them grow spiritually. Uh, I'll tell you, one of the best places, and it doesn't even cost a lot of money, there's even one really nearby where you can take a spiritual pilgrimage, and that place is the dump. You need to go there. It's good for your spiritual health, and here's why. If you take a trip to the dump, here's what you're going to see. You are going to see, everywhere you look, you're going to see things that people at one time in their life went into debt in order to purchase. These are things which couples argued about when they purchased them. How are we going to afford this? They caused strife in marriages. They, they caused people anxiety about how they were going to pay off the things that they bought. You know, they, they stressed over these things. They, they got to maintain these things. They insured these things in some cases, right? You see cars, you see appliances, you see all kinds of things at the dump. These, some of these things are things about which people thought to themselves, if I could just get that thing, that would fill the void in my life. If I could just get that, then I'd be content. Then I would have that feeling of satisfaction. But where are those things now? They're in a big pile. I call it Mount Trash. Have you guys seen it? On a clear day, if you look south from out of the windows of our offices, you can see a mountain. It's not Pikes Peak. That's too far away. It's Mount Trash right there in Erie. And, and it's just this giant pile of what? Of stuff that at one time people sacrificed for. One time people, you know, they gave to get these things. And they thought, if I could just get that computer, if I could just get that car, then I would be content. It would fill the void in my life. And where are they now? They're in a literal heap in, uh, made of waste. And all the stuff in your house, all the stuff in my house, eventually that's where it's going to end up. It's going to end up on the rubbish heap. And that puts a lot of things in perspective. That's why going to the dump is a spiritual pilgrimage, because it puts a lot of things in perspective. It makes you ask the question, do you really want to spend your life, the few years that you have, do you want to spend them primarily pursuing things in which, in just a few years' time, are going to be worthless and will end up on the rubbish heap? Or do you want your life to be about something more than that? You know, earthly treasures are temporary. It's not that they aren't treasures. It's just that they're temporary. They can be lost. They can be taken away. We need something bigger. We need something greater. We need something that is truly worth living for and even giving our lives for. 
Now, don't, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that earthly treasures, money, possessions, he's not saying that these things are bad. He's not putting a, a guilt trip on anybody. No, he, he's just saying this. Earthly treasures are not bad, but they are of no ultimate value. They're of no ultimate value. I saw a tweet recently. I thought this was funny. It said this. It said, it's funny that pirates were always going around searching for treasure, and they never realized that the real treasure was the fond memories they were creating together. <laughs> anyway, the, the material things of this world are only temporary. They don't last, and they're not worth building your life upon. Uh, regarding material things, the secret to happiness is not having more things. It's learning to be content with the things that you have. A survey was done a few years ago in which people were asked, how much money do you need to have in order to live the American dream? So they asked people who made $25,000 or less. And then they also asked people who made, you know, let's say $100,000 or more. So the people who made $25,000 or less, the average response was that they needed $54,000 a year in order to live the American dream. That was their response, $54,000 a year. Then they asked those in the $100,000 and above bracket, how much money do you need in order to live the American dream? And the average response among those who were in that income bracket was $192,000 per year in order to live the American dream. In other words, every group they polled, no matter how much they made, the average answer was about double what they currently made. Now, I'll tell you this. No matter how much money you make, you're not going to find the fulfillment that you're looking for by doubling your income. It will never be enough. You'll always think just a little bit more. Trying to find fulfillment in material things is like chasing after the wind. You're never going to catch it. When it comes to material things, the secret to happiness is finding contentment with what you have. That's why the Paul, Paul the Apostle, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of the world. So instead of laying up for ourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal, Jesus instructs us to lay up treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. You know, some people live this life as if it's a competition, and the person who dies with the most stuff wins. But Jesus says no. That's not how it works. You can't take anything with you. And so what does it benefit a man, Jesus says? What does it benefit a person if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? You know, it's interesting. They dig up these ancient graves, right? Archaeologists, they'll dig up ancient graves. And what do they often find? They'll find gold in the fingers of old bones, right? Old bones clutching gold or with gold uh, rings on these bones that are left from these people. They'll, they'll find money in the graves of people. And they sent them off into the afterlife with riches and money. But think about that. What good did that do them? The, the pharaohs and the kings buried in these pyramids and tombs with all these riches, they left it all behind. They, they didn't actually take any of it with them into the next life. Even if you could take it with you, think about that. What good would it do you? What are you going to do? You're going to hand God a, a stack of Benjamins, right, and ask him to do something for you? Are you going to show God some gold coins? The Bible says that in the world to come, gold will be as worthless as asphalt. 
right? You don't, you don't walk into the store with a hand of asphalt and try and buy things, right? I mean, asphalt has some value, but it says that the streets will be paved with gold. That isn't to say that the streets are going to be awesome. It's to say that gold will be of the same value as asphalt is to us. In other words, in the kingdom that is to come, the values will be so upside down of what they are right now for us. Instead of laying up treasures for ourselves on earth, we should say, I'm going to use what I have right now to accomplish something good for eternity. You know, money, if you talk about money, is money good or is money bad? I would say this, money is morally neutral. It's, it's neither inherently good nor inherently bad in and of itself. What is of great importance, though, is our attitude towards material things. That is actually a very spiritual matter. You see, it's not about how much money you have. It's about the motivation of your heart. It's not about being rich or about being poor. It's about being righteous. Because think about this. There are poor people who are righteous, and there are poor people who are unrighteous. In the same way, there are rich people who are righteous, and there are rich people who are unrighteous. In other words, with God, he's much less concerned with, the, with whether you are rich or poor, how much money you have in your bank account. What he cares about a lot is whether you are righteous or unrighteous. You know, there are plenty of poor people. We might call them the working poor. You know, dad works construction, swinging a hammer, hanging drywall, putting food on the table for the kids. And they, they love Jesus, and they make an honest living, but they're not rich, and maybe they even struggle to make ends meet. If you go out of the United States, you meet a lot of these people, the righteous poor. You know, this is, uh, we worked in Hungary and in Ukraine, in, in Europe, and we met a lot of people like this. People who love Jesus, they work 40 or 50 hours a week, they're not lazy, they work very diligent, and yet they're not rich and they might never be rich, uh, but they are righteous. Now, now, you also have poor people who are poor because of unrighteousness, right? People who are poor because perhaps they made foolish decisions um, and they do things which, which hurt their families and prevent them from getting out of poverty. So this is maybe people who refuse to work and instead take advantage of others, right? You've also got rich people who are rich but unrighteous, right? People who live for nothing more than increasing their material wealth. People in this category are wealthy sometimes because they're dishonest. They've cut corners or cheated. But then there are also people who are wealthy and they're righteous. They love God and they're honest and they have skills and they work in a field and they make a lot of money. Is there anything wrong with that? Of course not. You see these people in the Bible, for example. We see these people even as followers of Jesus in the Bible. They were upheld as good, godly men and women. And these people can have actually an incredible impact for the kingdom of God through the power of their material resources. For example, when we lived in Hungary, there was a man who supported us for years. And he didn't just support us. He supported, I mean, dozens of other missionaries in Europe and, and in Asia and other parts of the world. And this man, he's wealthy. He owns several businesses. And I remember one time talking to him, and he said, he said look, um, I, I want to be used by God, but I'm not good at a lot of things. He said, I, I don't know how to preach. I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to, you know, start a church. But I'm, I'm good at business. I just, everywhere I look, I see business opportunities. Uh, for me, making money is easy. And so I figure I'm just going to make as much money as I can and support as many ministries because ministry costs money. And I'm just going to do that. And I got to tell you, this guy had an incredible impact for God's kingdom in the world.
And so the point is this. In whatever stage you are in in life, wherever you are at in life, don't seek to be wealthy or, or, or poor. Seek to be righteous in whatever material situation you're in. And whatever you have, don't build your life on the accumulation of material possessions, but use the material possessions you have to store up treasures in heaven and accomplish good for eternity. In this world, it's common for people to love money and use people. Think about that. It's common to love money and use people. But Jesus calls us to do the opposite, to love people and to use money, to use the things we have in this world for an eternal impact. That's how we store up treasures in heaven. And the treasures we store up in heaven, unlike the treasures of this earth, they're completely secure. They can't be destroyed. They can't be lost. They can't be taken away. They are secure and eternal. Our material things will not pass from this life to the next. But the good that has been done for the kingdom of God through the use of our treasures will last for eternity. And the good work that God has done in us through our giving, that will also last for eternity. Look at what Jesus says in verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what God wants. He wants your heart. But there is this fundamental truth that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. For example, if you have financial investments, you will follow the stock market carefully. If you have real estate holdings, you will follow the housing housing market with genuine interest. And if you invest your earthly treasures in the furtherance of God's kingdom, guess where your heart will be? If you're investing in ministry, then your heart will be in that ministry. If you funded that mission trip, if you helped buy Bibles for those people who live over there, where is your heart going to be? What will your mind be bound up with? You will care about those things. You know, your heart will inevitably follow where your money goes. So therefore, Jesus said, invest your earthly treasures into God's work, into the eternal things of God's kingdom, and your heart will follow. So how do we become a person whose heart is bound up with the things of God? Here's how, Jesus says, by putting your treasures into those things, your earthly treasures into those things. On the other hand, what happens when you become bound up in materialism? Well, then your heart becomes consumed with things and yourself, right? I uh, had a mentor, and he used to put it this way. Giving isn't God's way of raising money. Giving is God's way of raising kids. He said, it's not that God needs our money. It's that we need to let go of what we have. We need to give and invest in the kingdom of God for our own sakes many times. It's a spiritual discipline, which is vitally important to my own spiritual well-being. Here's why. Because every time I give, I am taking part of my selfishness, my self-centeredness, and I'm breaking that away and giving it away and saying, no, 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 I won't let this get its claws into me. I won't let my possessions possess me. I won't be owned by this. I, I choose to give this away and invest it in something that matters for eternity because I need that for my own heart as well. I don't want to be a person like the Grinch, right, who has a heart that is three times too small. Oh, I don't want to be a person who's full of consumed with myself. I want to be a person who's consumed with the kingdom of God. And so what I do with my material possessions is kind of almost like the rudder, the small thing, right, the rudder that steers a large ship. Let's continue on in verse 22 uh, through 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Jesus is using a Hebrew euphemism or a turn of phrase here that we don't uh, immediately understand, I think, when we read it in English. In Hebrew, to have an evil eye uh, here, it's an idiom, which means to be a stingy person. It has the implication of meaning envious or covetous. So Jesus is playing off of this Hebrew idiom about an evil eye, meaning a stingy person. And he says, if your eye is bad, then your whole life will be filled with darkness. In other words, if you are a stingy, selfish person in regard to material things, your life will be filled with darkness. If you are generous, on the other hand, with your possessions, it will bring light and life into your life. You know, we are happier and more content when we have a heart of generosity. But if you're not generous, in other words, Jesus is saying, your life will be characterized by darkness. Selfishness, miserly ways, right? They cast a dark shadow on every aspect of our lives. But Jesus is saying here that your attitude towards material things, it can either be a source of light and life or a source of darkness within you. You know, I think some people try to divide the, they try to divide life into two categories. They'll say there's the spiritual and then there's the material, as if they're, they're two separate things that don't touch. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Your uh, attitude towards material things is a spiritual matter of the utmost importance. And your attitude towards material things makes a huge difference in your spiritual life. If we can have God's heart of generosity, if we can use our material possessions to store up eternal treasures, it will be a source of light and life within us. Let's continue on to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, or in some translations, mammon. Now, there are different opinions regarding the origin of the word mammon. Uh, some people believe that mammon was the name of a pagan deity, kind of the god of wealth. Others believe that the word mammon comes from the Hebrew word aman, which means to trust, because people have a tendency to trust in wealth for security. But whatever the origin, whether it's the the name of a pagan deity, or whether it just means to trust, right, this idea of mammon, what is clear about this word mammon is that it is this. It is money, it is materialism, it is wealth personified, personified. And the point here is this. You can't serve materialism and God at the same time. You have to choose. Which one will you live for? Which one will be the Lord and the master of your life and your heart? One common misconception about materialism is that it is something that only wealthy people struggle with. That's not true. If you've been around people who don't have any money, you'll quickly realize you don't have to have a lot of things to be materialistic. Uh, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to have things to worship things. Materialism is an issue of the heart, not an issue of how much, how much money or things you have. So this is something that all of us need to check our hearts on. And the question is, who and what are you living for? Are you living for material things, hoping to store up treasures on earth? Or are you living for God with the goal and ambition of using your material possessions to store up eternal treasures in heaven? 
Verse 25 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? In our day and age, we might add one more. How am I going to entertain myself? For many people, right, this is the, this is the summary of what life is about. Clothing, food, and entertainment. But if that's all that life is, think about it. Doesn't that lower you to the level of an animal? Aren't these the same things that animals care about? How and then are we different than the animals? But Jesus says, no, no, your life is not the same as, as the life of an animal. Your life consists of more than just base concerns. You have eternal things to pursue. So don't be anxious about these things. And why not? He says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God does a pretty good job of providing for his creation. And so you can be confident that God will take care of you too. Birds don't worry. Have you ever noticed that? I, I can't recall, you know, a bird with like a, a nervous look on his face wondering how he's going to pay the rent. Birds don't worry, but here's the interesting thing about birds. They don't worry, but they do work, don't they? they? They work a lot. Birds don't just sit around waiting for God to drop worms in their mouths. They get up early, they work diligently, but they don't toil and stress out. God provides for them as they do their work. And birds are good examples for us here, because why? They represent the balance that God wants us to have in regard to work and material things. We live in a material world. We need to eat. We need shelter. And God provides us those things, and he does so through work. Just like birds, right? God provides worms and twigs for them to build nests and for them to eat, but he doesn't just drop it in their mouths. They have to go and get those things. And God says, there they are. The worms are down there. The twigs are over here. I provided for you. Now you go and get it. If the birds don't work, they're going to be hungry. They're not going to have a nest. So we should work like birds do, diligently, yet free from worry and anxiety. Jesus is saying, look, God takes care of the birds, and he will take care of you. Are you not more valuable than they are? Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying that uh, many people's worry and anxiety in regard to material things is rooted in a low view of God a low view of God. They don't understand how much God loves them and how much God values them. Do you know that? Let me ask you. Do you know that? Do you know that God loves you and he values you? It's true. And because of that, you can be confident that God will provide for all of your needs as well. Let's look at verse 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Three things that Jesus tells us about worrying over material things. First of all, it is unproductive. So the first one is, it's unproductive. 
Uh, no one can add a single hour to their life through worry. I once read that it takes 60 trillion droplets of fog to cover seven city blocks. 60 trillion droplets of fog to cover seven city blocks. That sounds like a lot. That much fog can close down airports. It can close down, it can tie up cities. It can do all kinds of things, right? But you know how much 60 trillion droplets of, of fog is? That's only half a glass of water if you condense it down. Half a glass of water. Now, that's a good picture of what worry is all about. You begin with something little, only half a glass of water, but you start thinking about it, wrestling with it, wondering about it. How's this going to work out? How am I going to do that? How's it going to happen? And before long, you can't see anything, right? Just like fog. You can't see anything clearly, and everything shuts down. Worry accomplishes nothing. It actually robs our time, robs our energy, robs our joy, and gives us nothing in return. So that's the first one. It's unproductive. The second thing about worry is that Jesus tells us it is unnecessary. Why? Because your Heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask, and He's committed to providing what you need. Your Heavenly Father, being perfect in knowledge, He knows exactly what you need, and you can rest in that. Some people's anxiety and worry is based in wanting a specific outcome or a particular situation from God, right? They're, they're afraid that God will not give them the outcome that they want or which they are convinced that they really need. But you can rest in knowing that your Heavenly Father does love you and He knows exactly what you need, even if it isn't what you might have envisioned or, or planned or thought for yourself. And finally, the, the third thing Jesus says here about why, uh, you know, the, why, let's see, what did I say here? Why uh, worry is, is not needed is He tells us it's unworthy. Here's the other thing about worry. It's unworthy. It's unworthy of God, and it's unworthy for your life. It's an unworthy use of your life, rather. Worry and anxiety over material things, it's unworthy of God. To think that the same God who takes care of the birds and who takes care of the flowers and the grass of the field would forsake his children, that's shameful in a way. Spurgeon put it this way. He, he chided his people and he said this, Oh, you of little faith, learn better manners, right? Learn better manners. There's a degree to which it's, it's insulting to God to think that he can't or that he won't provide for you. His child, for, for whom he displayed and declared his love in the most powerful way possible by giving his life in exchange for yours by becoming a man and dying on a cross. Not only is anxiety over material things unworthy of God, it is an unworthy use of the days of your life. God created you for so much more than that. And he says the Gentiles, they seek after these things. Jesus is saying th those who have the hope of eternal life ought to think differently than those who don't. Those who have the hope of eternal life, those who know God as their heavenly Father, shouldn't we have a different perspective on life, different ambitions in life than those who don't know God? Rather than stressing over material possessions, God wants you to be focused on the ultimate things that really matter. This is why Jesus says then in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Sometimes you hear people make a list of their priorities. You know, they'll say family first, 
then work. And, and often you'll hear Christians do the same thing, right? We'll say, we'll, we'll say, take that same list, family, work, but we'll say, no, 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 we put God at the top of the list. So we say God, family, then work. You know, God first, then my spouse, then my kids, then my job, then my hobbies, and so on, as if they're making a numbered list that goes like that. But I don't think that that kind of linear thinking really reflects what Jesus had in mind. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. No, I believe what Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying, in all of those things that you do, in your marriage, in your family, in your work, in every area of your life, I want you to be seeking my kingdom in those areas of your life. It's not about putting them in a tiered list and numbering that list. It's about saying, all of the things in your life, I want this to be the number one characteristic and driving force, seeking my kingdom and my righteousness in those things. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness in your marriage by loving and ministering to your spouse. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness in your family, in the way that you treat your kids. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness through your work that you do. Don't try to create, you know, compartmentalized areas of your life that don't touch each other. Rather, in everything that you do, seek my kingdom and pursue my righteousness. You see, uh, that way, you don't have to choose, right? Should I honor God in, on, a tu on this Tuesday, or should I honor my spouse? Well, I guess I got to honor God and not my spouse because God's number one and my spouse is number two. No, no, no. You can do both, right? We want to seek the kingdom and pursue his righteousness in every area of our lives so that it all flows together. And, and we do that in regard to our material possessions as well. We seek to honor God and seek first his kingdom by how we do the things that we do and the way that we deal with our material possessions. Notice here, Jesus doesn't simply say, stop worrying. Have you ever been worried about something? And then someone came up to you and said, hey, stop worrying, right? Like, or you're really afraid of something and someone says, hey, don't be scared, right? That, that doesn't really help, does it? Like, oh, okay, problem solved. I'll just turn off the worrying switch right now. I'll just turn off being scared. You know what does help you actually stop worrying? When someone gives you a reason to not worry, right? When you have a greater concern or when you have great confidence, that's what helps you to stop worrying. When you get some piece of information that changes the way that you previously thought, that stops you from worrying. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, don't let your mind be occupied with anxious thoughts and worries about material things, but instead... Fill your mind with thoughts and concerns about the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Occupy your mind with those thoughts instead, and it will calm the anxiety and worry in your mind. And he finishes it here in verse 34 by saying this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We've talked about how easy it is in this material world to be possessed by our possessions. Jesus here gives us a vision of how to be truly free from the ties of materialism. First of all, understand the fundamental nature of material things. They are temporary. They are transient. It's not something to build your life upon. Secondly, understand that this life is more than just material things. God created you for a bigger and better purpose, eternal things of ultimate value. Thirdly, understand how valuable you are to God.
Understand how valuable you are to God, that the message of the gospel is that you are so incredibly loved and incredibly valuable to God that he became a man and gave his life for you. You can have confidence, therefore, that he will provide for you because he loves you that much. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He says this, He, that's God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And lastly, replace your anxious thoughts with thoughts of God's kingdom and his righteousness. Replace your anxious thoughts and concerns, your worries, with thoughts of God's kingdom and his righteousness. I started off by talking about the incredible freedom you can experience when you have nothing to lose. Well, that is what we have because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf, if you put your faith in him as Savior and Redeemer, you will become a person whose eternal future is absolutely secure. You will become a child of a loving Heavenly Father, and you will become a person who literally, in that case, has nothing to lose in this life. A person who can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Either way, I win because he already won for me. And when you have that knowledge and that confidence that comes from the gospel, you can be truly free from being possessed by your possessions. You can be truly free in this life. Please stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the incredible freedom that we have because of what you accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. Lord, may we be those who replace our anxious thoughts with those thoughts of your kingdom that is to come and the sureness of that kingdom because of what you accomplished and you declare, Jesus, it is finished. Lord, forgive us for the ways in which we have built our hope and our li lives upon material things which are transient. But Lord, would you help us that when we have times of worry, Lord, that we would turn to you in prayer with thanksgiving and make those, those things known to you and Lord, that you would replace them with peace that passes all understanding. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com. 